P.J. Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers outlast Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes in a low-scoring, classic Big Ten West 12-10 matchup. The over-under in this game was set at 30, 30 and a half, which was a record low in the past 20 years of college football. Last year's over-under, I think, was 32 and a half, and Iowa ended up winning that game 13 to 10 on the road in Minneapolis. P.J. Fleck returns the favor and pulls in Iowa by scoring less total points than Iowa did against his squad last year on the road in Kinnick Stadium, and nonetheless coming out with a win. Uh, This was a much-needed win for P.J. Fleck. This restored some of my personal faith in P.J. Fleck that I lost during the North Carolina game or, for example, the Northwestern game being a massive one. P.J. Fleck doesn't typically... He's a very fundamentally oriented coach. He's similar to Ferentz in that regard. They typically don't blow games that they're dominating, and that was a loss that to me was very concerning. Like P.J. Flex said immediately after the game, he's proud of his team. They faced a lot of adversity this year, and this is a sweet reward. It's revenge, because Iowa, I said in my preview and prediction video, I got this prediction wrong, but I made the prediction that Iowa was going to win 16-13, to keeping in mind that I didn't know the health of Darius Taylor. And I said, if I knew that Darius Taylor was healthy, I would predict Minnesota to win. Because Minnesota has a better offense than Iowa, obviously. And Iowa's offense is so bad that even with the defensive woes Minnesota has faced, and yeah, um, Deontay Vines, by the way, had a 36-yard reception. Like I said in my preview video, Minnesota was going to allow a big play to Iowa didn't matter. The offense was so inept that the weaknesses in Minnesota's defense could not be exploited. Minnesota won 12-10, rushing for over 100 yards, passing for over 100 yards. Um, If you don't adjust the sacks and knees, Minnesota ran for over 3 yards per carry. They passed for around 5 yards per attempt, despite not completing more than 50% of their passes. This was a classic, like I've said, Big Ten West Showdown. Welcome back to the show, fellow football fanatics. It's College Football with Sam, and I don't know what to say other than the fact that despite this being a game where most people would rather bleach their eyes than watch, I was glued to the television. This was a more entertaining game than Penn State and Ohio State, partially because I knew what to expect from this game and seeing... Minnesota run the ball, Minnesota pass the ball, and this game was always close. You never had a sense, even when Iowa entered the locker room up seven, you never had a sense that this game was totally out of reach. And indeed, this was a fight by both sides. With some controversy, of course, Cooper DeGene and Iowa and Kirk Ferentz certainly feel like the game was theirs and a bad play call took it away. P.J. Fleck, on the other hand, says there's absolutely no controversy. The truth is somewhere in the middle, but bad calls, questionable calls. In fact, I don't even really think that was 
I don't know if it was a bad call even by the referees, but if it was, that stuff happens. This is a rightfully earned and much-needed win for P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. Before we continue in this video, please subscribe to the channel and click the notification bell so that you can get notified when I post more college football and Big Ten football content. Minnesota and Iowa both have a chance, a shot, at winning their division. And if you want to win the division, for Minnesota, even with a tough schedule that features Ohio State on the road, and they still have to play Wisconsin, and they also host Michigan State this weekend, it's now, or some might say never, though I'm not going to say never, but now is the time. Now is the easiest opportunity that Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin have at reaching Indianapolis, because in 2024, there's going to be 18 teams in the Big Ten, and only two of them can go to Indianapolis or Las Vegas to play in the Big Ten championship game. I think there should be a four-team Big Ten playoff to decide the Big Ten champion, and then after that's all said and done, then the 12-team playoff format can you know, count those extra games and use the champion of that to decide the Big Ten champion, just so that there's a greater opportunity for the whole Big Ten, and because that might have some sweet Cinderella stories or upsets where, you know, the fourth seed ends up winning. But regardless, that's a topic for a different day. Also, like this video, comment your reaction down below, and my potential power ranking system actually got this game wrong. It predicted that Iowa was going to win and Iowa was going to cover, but a lot of that had to do with the fact that I don't think potential power can necessarily process how inept Iowa's offense is. That's, that's just the reality. And also, to be fair, if Cooper DeGene's punt return was ruled fair, then Iowa would have won and covered. But it was a prediction that was just wrong. Potential power's not perfect, but it got the Ohio State win over Penn State correct. It predicted Utah to beat USC. It predicted Michigan to just blow out Michigan State by close to 50 points. And it had a positive record against the spread and the money line this past weekend. So check out Potential Power via the link in my Patreon page down in the description. And if you're an All-American or a Heisman, you can get access to that. If you just want to support the channel... $5 a month, you can become all-conference, and your name, just like everyone's name who's a part of my Patreon, will be featured at the end of the video. Thank you so much for listening and also for commenting. I appreciate you guys, whether you're new viewers or consistent subscribers. You all are a part of the College Football with Sam community. Let's make this the best college football community on the tube. But getting back to the video, Minnesota... I think it's clear that they're, I, th I think, the better team. And I'm stuttering in saying that because Iowa has six wins. They're going bowling. They only have two losses. Minnesota is still searching for bowl eligibility, and they have three losses. And the way that Minnesota has functioned this year, if they went five and seven, that wouldn't come as a shell-shocking surprise to me. Now, I would be surprised, but not like thrown out of my chair type surprised. But Minnesota, despite not having any side of the football that's elite, I think is the better team because they have balance. They have a head coach who, in my mind, has adapted. 
And Iowa's more talented than Minnesota. Iowa consistently, this is shocking, Iowa consistently recruits better than the Gophers do. And Iowa and Minnesota, I think Minnesota had the better transfer portal class entering this year, but Iowa had their own incoming transfers. And in their current form right now, Minnesota's the better football team. A healthy Iowa with you know Eric All, Luke Lachey healthy, and Cade McNamara might be better. But we're talking about the here and the now. All those players are unfortunately injured, and they're out for the rest of the season, which is really sad. Deacon Hill is just... I don't know what to tell you. I didn't think there could be a quarterback worse than Spencer Petras starting. Uh, Deacon Hill is that. Hill on the season. Let's check out some of these Heisman-level statistics. He's been sacked nine times and hasn't even completed 100 passing attempts. Not all of that's on his offensive line either. A lot of that is on him and not being aware in the pocket. He only has 37 completions, only completing 38% of his passes, 427 passing yards, 4.4 yards per pass, two touchdowns, three interceptions, two fumbles, one rushing touchdown with negative 75 rushing yards and a long scramble of seven. He makes Ethan Kaliak Manis look like a great quarterback. And Minnesota fans and college football fans know that Kaliak Manis has potential, but right now he's not a great player. Who is a great player is Darius Taylor, the guy featured on your screen. He's my player of the game. Him, Zach Evans, and Sean Tyler leaned on Iowa's defense and eventually broke that defense. The fascinating thing about this game is time of possession, really. Iowa is known to be this team that, you know, controls the clock, controls tempo, forces you into mistakes, punting is winning, and the punting game was great. Kirk Ferentz, typically for any team to punt with two minutes remaining in all three timeouts, you go for it, even if you have that good defense. You go for it just to give yourself that extra chance. Ferentz knew what he was doing. That actually was not a bad play call in retrospect, to punt with two minutes left. Because Iowa's the better punter. You're likely going to force Minnesota into a three and out, and... That wasn't the that wasn't in my mind a great play call to have Kaliak Manis throw that. I mean, maybe maybe it was good, but I think that was more overthinking. You've had success in the ground game. Maybe Taylor or Evans breaks one off or I, Tyler. I think Evans was out of the game at that point, unfortunately. Um, but Iowa stopped him had one timeout remaining, and that's when Cooper DeGene made magic. Um, make no doubt that should be a highlight for him because it wasn't played whatsoever. There was no confusion on the field as to whether that was a fair catch or not. It wasn't played like a fair catch. Whether it was or wasn't, I'm not going to say. I'm going to leave that for you all to debate in the comments section. Tell me whether it was, was it a fair catch, was it game, whatever. But the players on the field did not treat that like a fair catch, and he still tightrope the sidelines. Minnesota special teams is going to get an earful this week because all the tackles they missed, they should have had DeGene then and there, no gain, and they missed tackles. I mean, that was un unbelievable. But, but Minnesota had the better players. Minnesota came in with the better game plan. I mean, they went into what is a hornet's nest. Now, Iowa isn't what they used to be. They were much better in 2021. They were better in 2019. In 18, 20, 
17, 16, when they actually had an offense still with Phil Parker as their DC, they could even upset the best teams in the in the entire universe of college football in Kinnick Stadium. They can't do that anymore with how bad their offense is. It's still a hornet's nest for a team like Minnesota to play in. Minnesota isn't like Ohio State or Michigan, who last year Michigan went into Kinnick and dominated Iowa. And in 2022, if Ohio State had to travel to Kinnick, they probably would have done something similar, albeit because of their style of play, they would have ended up scoring more points like they did in Columbus. But Minnesota, they have great players on defense, like Tyler Newbin, like Devin Williams, like Danny Strigio, like Jack Henderson, like Justin Wally, great players on defense. And offensively, they have Darius Taylor. 59 car- fifty-nine yards, almost said 59 carries. 16 carries, 59 yards, 3 receptions for 25 yards. Talk about a guy who's setting the pace for the game. And I mentioned T.O.P. earlier, and then I got off of a tangent. But him, Evans, and Tyler gave Minnesota effectively 35 minutes and 25 seconds of possession Minnesota had more than a 10-minute possession advantage on Iowa, large part of that due to, again, this young man on the screen, Darius Taylor. He's a true freshman, by the way. True freshman, had a Michigan offer, and the reason I mention that is when Michigan offers a running back, as we've seen with Benjamin Hall, Hassan Haskins, C.J. Stokes, especially Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, you name it, Mike Hart knows his running backs. He does. Darius Taylor's a great player. That possession, you could see Iowa's defense breathing heavy, sweating, hands on hips. Like, they they were being worn out. Minnesota learned, in part, from Michigan, when Michigan boat raced them, and they, they had a bye. They learned that you know, controlling the clock is very valuable. And when you have a running back like Darius Taylor and you have a deep running back room behind him, you can do that. And Minnesota has a capable offensive line. In this matchup against the Hawkeyes, Iowa had three sacks, five tackles for loss, and three passes deflected. Minnesota had more sacks, more tackles for loss, more passes defended albeit Iowa had nearly double of the total tackles, which, again, goes to show that Minnesota not only, you know, dominated the game offensively, but they also worked the clock. They didn't dominate the game offensively like, let's say, USC does, or like, let's say, Minnesota wanted to at the beginning of the year when they tried to pass it for 50 times and run for 25, and then the staff figured out, oh, we can't do that. Let's go back to what we know. They constricted Iowa and slowly, slowly choked them out. That's what Minnesota did. Iowa scored on their lone touchdown with a 46-yard drive that began in Minnesota territory. And on the first drive of the game, rivalry-type stuff, that's when Iowa brought out anything that they had of worth. They went on a 70-yard drive, got inside the Minnesota 10, and were held to a field goal. Um, I'm not going to say that Minnesota performed better defensively than Iowa did, but part of me is tempted to say that because, I mean, Minnesota, <laughs> they had that much more yards 
that much more first downs. They were able to get big plays, but then again, they had the better players. And then now I'm almost arguing with myself here. Iowa had the better offensive line, I think, entering this game. So I just find it so interesting. These two teams are very similar. I'm going to play it safe and say that, you know, Iowa performed better on defense in this matchup. They obviously have the better defense overall in special teams. But having just that extra bit of juice offensively, whether it's Darius Taylor or Ethan Kaliak-Manis having a more talented arm and being a much better player than Deacon Hill, or another player who could have been player of the game. He had over 100 receiving yards. Daniel Jackson, 101 receiving yards, 7 receptions, 14.4 yards per reception. He had an amazing toe-tap reception that nearly earned a first down deep in his own territory. And then he had that 39-yard bomb. That was the play where I saw that, I, I witnessed that happen, and I thought to myself, Minnesota's winning. Because the way Minnesota rushed on that drive, where they were they were running, and they were chewing clock, and you could see Iowa's defense get worn out. And then to have that kind of, the secondary is the pride and joy of Iowa's defense, and to have that be busted is the equivalent of someone putting on brass knuckles and just punching Iowa in the mouth, and their teeth and you know blood just flies everywhere. That's what that play was. Ultimately, this was a boxing match from the beginning, and Iowa still had every chance to win until the final Deacon Hill interception. So I'm not acting, or at least I'm trying not to act like Minnesota's the far better team, but this was a huge win for the Gophers, so that's why I'm talking about them so much. And they outperformed Iowa in every way offensively. Defensively, Minnesota was the one forcing turnovers. Iowa didn't force any turnovers all day. Um, Both teams had over five penalties for over 50 yards. Deacon Hill fumbled it twice, threw an interception. That, that, That really is why Minnesota won this game, is they won the turnover battle. And in a certain sense, also because Minnesota... Dragan Kesich was 4-5 of on the day. Mark Crawford averaged, you know, Torrey Taylor averaged nearly 50 yards per punt attempt, which is just insane. But Mark Crawford, Crawford, he averaged around 40 per per punt, and he had three inside the 20. Iowa had four inside the 20, including one touchback by Torrey Taylor. So these teams are very comparable. And at the end of the day, it just, it was shocking to me to see that Minnesota... Like last year, you know, last year they dominated Iowa statistically, controlled the clock, but ultimately they had turnover problems. This year it was a similar game, except the home field advantage and turnover problems were flipped. That was the only change that occurred, and I guess in Big Ten West football, and as especially Coach Ferentz would likely say, football is a game of inches. And Minnesota won inches by yards, by turnovers, you name it. And Darius Taylor was a massive part of that. I mean, having three receptions being only one of two players to have catches, the other being Daniel Jackson, who by far, in my mind, is not just Minnesota's best receiver, he's one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. The problem is Ethan Kaliak-Manis can't get him the football more, but Jackson has 29 receptions, 387 yards, five receiving touchdowns. He's averaging 13.3 yards per reception. 
he'll probably break 600 receiving yards, if not more. And if he had a better quarterback, he might be a 1,000-yard receiver. Um, he's, he's a great wide receiver, great feet, great awareness, great hands. He, he, he's, he's a great wide receiver. A span forward had a drop. Tight ends, again, for Minnesota have not been performing all that well. This team has faced a lot of adversity. They seem discombobulated at times. But, again, a good win for P.J. Fleck. His first win ever over Iowa. His first ranked win since Wisconsin in 2021 at home. And I don't know. At least I don't think Minnesota under Fleck has ever, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he's ever won a road top 25 game. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he has. In 2019, he beat Penn State at home, lost to ranked Iowa on the road, and ranked Wisconsin at home. I guess you could count, you know, Auburn was in the bowl game, but it's still a ranked win. It's just impressive. A first win against Iowa, first true road win against a top 25 Big Ten opponent. Congratulations to P.J. Fleck. Darius Taylor, Ethan Kaliakmanis, Justin Wally for reading that play by Hill and getting the final interception. What a win for Minnesota. And honestly, I'm going to talk about this in a video later this week. In my mind, just looking at two teams that I really like, in my mind, Minnesota and Nebraska, it's more of a gut feeling than anything based off of statistical evidence. Statistical evidence tells us that it will either be Wisconsin or Iowa that wins the division. However, I have a feeling that Minnesota and Nebraska will be able to galvanize themselves and rally with the wins that they had. Nebraska getting a win streak, finally having a winning record, and playing sloppily but finding a way to win. That boosts their confidence. And Minnesota as a program just achieved something that they haven't achieved in closer to a decade than not. I think that that will give these programs juice. Iowa has to be demoralized. Maybe they'll be angry and win out, but at this point, I think there are better teams than Iowa remaining on their schedule, and that road trip at Nebraska will be interesting. And for Wisconsin, they have Ohio State this weekend. That will be a very tough game to win, and they have a road trip to Minnesota, and they have to play Nebraska too. So there's a lot of opportunity for Minnesota to win the West same with Nebraska. I'm going to be making a video specific to Nebraska and can they win the West and how they should finish out the year this week. So hit the notification bell if you're a Nebraska fan. That video will probably come out either tomorrow or Wednesday, definitely before Friday. For Iowa, let's focus on them for a few minutes. 127 yards of offense. One touchdown off of a QB sneak and several Minnesota penalties. What are you doing? The entire identity of this team at this point is hopelessness and despair. Because I'm just, I'm flabbergasted by how bad this offense can be. I mean, can it get any worse? We asked that last season. It's worse this year. It is. They're 131st in passing yards per game. Iowa is only having 116.5 per game. They're 109th in rushing yards per game, only averaging 115.9 rushing yards per game. And those numbers are inflated, especially the rushing total, by a ridiculously good performance by LaShawn Williams against Western Michigan. 
Iowa's scoring offense is 118th in the country, scoring only 19.5 points per, per game. And their defense is allowing 14.5 points per game, which is 8th nationally. Only a 5-point differential, and I can only imagine that that margin could totally shrink as I see Iowa losing at least one more, if not two more games in their remaining eight. And that you know, includes a neutral site against Northwestern, a home game against Rutgers, a home game against Illinois, road game against Nebraska. All of those games, judging by the fact that Iowa has had wins of less than two touchdowns against Utah State, Iowa State, Michigan State, Purdue, and Wisconsin, Five, yeah, five of their six wins have come by less than two touchdowns, by by 10 points to be specific, or less. All of these remaining four games have the potential to be losses. Now, Iowa will not finish 6-6. I don't think that. But they could lose to Northwestern. They could lose to Rutgers. They could lose to Illinois. They could lose to Nebraska. They will slip up somewhere, and that trip to Nebraska will be very tough. Road environment against a team that has a very stingy defense and a team that has better play everywhere on offense right now, except for maybe running back and offensive line, but better quarterback play, better tight end play, better wide receiver play. And definitely Marcus Satterfield, even with his doubts, is much better than he who shall not be named as offensive coordinator. The special teams, I'm going to say this, they got robbed because that was an amazing punt return. Troy Taylor averaging nearly 50 yards per punt is awesome. Drew Ste- um, yeah, Drew Stevens, I believe. He even had a field goal made. Yeah, for a minute I confused Drew Stevens and Troy Taylor, my bad. But he had a field goal, an extra point, and Cooper DeGene with that punt return, that was awesome. Just a phenomenal player. Cooper DeGene is one of the most versatile players in all of college football, could probably be a wide receiver and catch with those hands. Him, Sione Vaki, Mike Sainer still, and there are probably several other players who I'm forgetting. Oh, Zachariah Branch. Like, those are just some players who are extremely versatile in college football. The special teams deserved having that punt return for a touchdown. They really did. But Brian Ferentz deserved. He deserved that. Because this offense, along with USC's defense, is one of the hardest things to watch. It's why when Iowa plays or USC plays, until Alex Grinch is gone and until Brian Ferentz is fired, I will actively root for them to lose because I don't want to see this anymore. Who does? Iowa fans certainly don't want to see this anymore. Because if Iowa plays the exact way they played against Minnesota, they're losing to Rutgers, who can run the ball, perhaps even better than Minnesota, and they don't turn it over, and they have great special teams, and newsflash, they have a better defense than Minnesota, or a slightly better defense, and they'll lose on the road to Nebraska, and potentially lose a third game, though likely they'll just lose one or two games. Who wants this? No one wants this. No one... No one except Kirk Ferentz and his son want this style of play. You think that Phil Parker appreciates this offense? You think that LeVar Woods appreciates this offense? You think that the players appreciate this offense? 
Now, given the fact that Kirk Ferentz typically has good control over his locker room, I don't think there's going to be any massive divide. But there isn't going to be faith in the offense either. There's just going to be a neutral feeling. Like in a feeling of accountability on defense and special teams and offense, the defense won't dislike the offense, but they're not going to trust the offense to win them games. That's why DeGene's punt return was so important. Because that was overturned, and then Deacon Hill, incomplete pass, sack, pick. P.J. Fleck flexes with his players and trounces on the field. End of game. I'm just, I'm done. I am done with punting is winning. We're going to do things differently. This isn't even doing things the old-fashioned way. Hayden Fry's offenses and Kirk Ferentz's offense from just a few years ago were not this bad. This is being intentionally inept because you're stubborn. This is this is Mark D'Antonio 2016 to 2019 type of stuff. In fact, I think it's even worse because Brian Ferentz is Kirk Ferentz's son, so there's like total nepotism involved. It's not just apathy. It's not just mild stubbornness. I mean, this is blatantly obvious. I mean, who knows if Ferentz the Younger will even be fired if Iowa doesn't score 25 points per game. And they're going to have to score close to 35 points per game if Ferentz wants to keep his job. And I don't see Iowa doing that, even against Northwestern or Illinois, whose defenses have been atrocious, or especially Rutgers and Nebraska, who have, in my mind, top 25 or top 30 defenses. So I don't know what the answer is for Iowa. Um, And with Kirk Ferentz and his age and what he's done for Iowa, I mean, we have to admit he's a good coach. He could retire after this year, after next year. Who knows? But he is getting old. So a question that I have additionally is, do you think he retires after this season? Because... If Brian Ferentz doesn't succeed in reaching his contract goals, I have a hard time seeing him be let go without Kirk Ferentz being mad. And maybe he'll just retire almost in protest if Brian Ferentz is let go. Who knows? But answer my speculation down in the comments below. Iowa rushed for only 11 yards, averaging 0.4 yards per carry. And their long rush was 7. By Deacon Hill. Conversely, Minnesota's longest rush was 11, but at least they averaged over one yard per carry. That's just, that's pathetic. That's asinine. For the Gophers, we've talked about them a lot already, but I think this team is going to start peaking in November. Minnesota plays Michigan State at home. Michigan State's coming off of humiliating loss after humiliating loss after humiliating loss after humiliating loss. After, oh wait, another humiliating loss. But Michigan State has more star power than Minnesota. This is a classic letdown spot for Minnesota too. Big win, first win in forever. Minnesota, in fact, has a talent disadvantage to Michigan State, but they have a drastic coaching advantage, home field advantage. Last time I checked, the majority of people are picking Minnesota money line but they're picking Michigan State to cover the spread. So I'm fascinated to see how that game goes. I'm going to be previewing that one this week. But I think that 
Minnesota right now, in all likelihood, this doesn't mean my prediction will be this, in all likelihood, Minnesota probably beats Michigan State. Minnesota, after after they play Michigan State, they host Illinois. Then they have a tough road stretch at Purdue, which Minnesota right now would be favored to beat Purdue, but it's on the road. And Minnesota plays teams close. I mean, their largest win on the season is a 19-point win over Eastern Michigan, then an 11-point win over Louisiana. Minnesota still has a negative point differential. They only score 20.3 points per game. They allow 24.3 points per game. Um, I think it'll be a positive point differential or a pretty 50-50 point differential by the end of the season, which, yes, implies that I think Minnesota is probably going to have a 500 or better record in their next five games. At Ohio State, I'd chalk up as a loss, though depending on how Ohio State and Minnesota play, I could pick that as like a trap upset as Ohio State will be focused on Michigan that week. And then Minnesota hosts Wisconsin at the end of the year. It will be tough for Minnesota to win the West, but I think Minnesota has an underrated pool of talent and a good staff. And with a win like this, if they don't let their emotions get the best of them against Michigan State or Illinois, and they're 6-3 and three entering that road game against Purdue, I think they'll begin to peak, and I think it's more likely than not they will win their next two games. But let's see. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Fleck earned a massive win. I cannot state this enough. P.J. Fleck and his team have just had it rough this year. From nearly having a big win relative to their success this year over Northwestern to choking that game, unbelievable. Um, And having Darius Taylor injured certainly was another point of adversity. Losing to Michigan 10-52, a lot of Minnesota fans were not happy by that which is understandable. No one should be happy losing by 42. And this game, many people picked Minnesota to cover, but more people picked Iowa to win. And even though I got my prediction wrong on one hand, on the other hand, I somewhat was going to be accurate both ways. If Darius Taylor doesn't play, Iowa probably wins. Darius Taylor played, like I said, Minnesota's going to win. And he ended up playing... In fact, on the live, when I was reacting to live Ohio State and Penn State, someone mentioned that Darius Taylor was healthy, and I said, well, Minnesota's going to win because, I mean, the way that Fleck has just built his program and built his roster, when Minnesota is healthy, they can typically beat anyone who's mediocre. I mean, when they're healthy and it's not an off game, They can beat anyone who's mediocre. And Iowa this year, I'm telling you, they're worse than they are last year. The reason the statistics don't show that is last year, Iowa lost to Ohio State, I think, by a score of, I think it was 54 to 10 or 54 to 13. I mean, that Ohio State blew out Iowa. Michigan beat them by 13. And they they just had had several bad losses. The Iowa Hawkeyes did last year. That Ohio State game, obviously, wide, like closing the point gap between the offense and the defense greatly. On um, this year, 
Iowa's worst loss was a 31-point loss to Penn State on the road. They didn't play Ohio State on the road, otherwise they would have had a loss by probably 40. And they didn't play Michigan at home, who probably would have beaten them by 30 at home because Michigan is that elite. Iowa this year, they don't have the same defense they did last year, and they even have a worse offense. The only thing better about Iowa this year than last year, I think, is the special teams. That's it. Um, The skill positions for Minnesota, like I've already mentioned, very underrated. Um, Spanford and Calarup have had a tough year as tight ends. The wide receiver room, because Kaliak Manis this season hasn't been even a serviceable quarterback, really. They haven't been shown off as much as they should be, or showed off as much as they should be. Kaliak Manis is only completing 53% of his passes this year. He has six touchdowns, six interceptions. He's been sacked 11 times. He was sacked three times against Iowa. A 106.4 passer rating, a 54.2 quarterback efficiency rating, which is 85th nationally, and he has 923 passing yards. But again, don't worry, because Deacon Hill is an 8.5 quarterback efficiency rating, which is... that, That makes me speechless. I'll just leave it at that. Good win for Fleck, 239 offensive yards, No touchdowns, but a win with field goals, much like Michigan's 2012 win over Michigan State, which was by a score of 12-10 to as well. Except in that instance, the home team and the team with the better talent won. In this instance, the team that had less star talent by recruiting and that was on the road, but that had the much better coaching staff and that developed their players better and put them in a better position to win, they won. So... Huge congratulations to P.J. Fleck in Minnesota for winning this game. I'm excited to see whether Iowa, Minnesota, or Wisconsin, or Nebraska win the West. And this is nuts. But from what I've seen, based on football power index, there is a scenario where Northwestern and Illinois are still alive in the race. I think, to my knowledge, Purdue might even be but Purdue hasn't faced Michigan yet, so I think with their tough schedule, they're almost eliminated. But I don't think any team yet in the West has been technically, mathematically eliminated from Indy, which is just nuts. I think that it will come down likely to the final week of who is going to win the Big Ten West once again. Thank you so much for watching this video. I want to give a quick shout-out to my patrons, Spencer Bringhurst and Noah DDLC, my All-American patrons. Also, SFS Inverted, Welcome. He joined as an All-American patron either early this morning or yesterday. Feel free to check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. And SFS Inverted next week when... Actually, no. This week. It'll be this week because I haven't done preview and prediction videos yet. This week, your name will be featured starting tomorrow on my preview and prediction segments. So, thank you for watching this video. Also, thanks to Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Noman Matthew Sale, my all-conference patrons. Your support is never expected, but it is always very much appreciated. Have a great day, guys.